Welcome to Bear Creek AG. You're getting ready to listen to our current Bible study. Right now, Pastor Tony is walking through the book of James. So grab your Bible and a notepad or journal and join us. That's all right. Well, glad you're here tonight. We are picking up in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It took us about three weeks to get through chapter 16, and now we're in 15. We're down to the home stretch, but I can tell you tonight, we will not finish chapter 15 tonight. It's probably going to be a minimum of two, uh, two weeks at least, if not three weeks, depending on how much you guys enter in and join in the conversation. Um, I do want to give God praise uh, what, what a powerful uh, service we had Sunday morning. Wasn't it great? It was just great. Not necessarily, I mean, the message was good. Obviously, the anointing was up on me, and, and obviously God used me as well as other people to operate in the gifts of the Spirit. Uh, but just to see the lives of those people who were hungry, who came down at the end, um, and just excited me to see a hunger and just a, a shameless plug. You don't want to miss this Sunday. We will once again be in Acts chapter 1. I can't get out of Acts chapter 1. Um, and the reason for that is everything that happens after Acts chapter 1 is predicated on Acts chapter 1. So there's a lot there we're going to be looking at this Sunday. And uh, I know it's holiday weekend. If you plan to go out of town, cancel your plans. No, I'm kidding. I get it. Uh, hopefully those will be here. You're going to be blessed. It's going to be a very, a very challenging uh, message. But anyways, we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Now Paul, to this point, has dealt with a number of issues uh, that were reported to him uh, by different people uh, within the church of Corinth, okay? And he's, he's, I mean, we're on chapter 15, so 14 chapters he's been dealing with this. He began, uh, here he's going to begin to deal with a doctrinal error that crept into the church. Uh, some of the Corinthians uh, were, were moving back. They were moving away from their belief in the resurrection, okay? And as you were here this past Sunday, I told you I'd be teaching on the resurrection. We probably won't get fully into the resurrection tonight. Um, depends on how far we go. But there's a lot there we have to look at. And so they were, they were walking away from this. The, uh, uh, they, they were walking away from the teaching of the resurrection of the dead. So in this chapter, we're going to find the most thorough and complete teaching in the whole Bible on the resurrection. Now, there's other scriptures in Thessalonians. We know Paul writes in there as well. But he is going to give us the, the doctrine of the resurrection right here um, tonight. And, and I'm excited about this. So let's jump into this. So 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 and 2, okay? Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you when you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved. I'll say it again, by this gospel, by this good news, by what I preach to you, by what you receive from me, is how you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preach to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. Now, one thing I have come to understand as I'm getting older is how important my memory is. Any other testimonies in the house, you know? When I was a younger man, I didn't have a hard time. I think part of the problem with my memory today is the fact that we have technology. And with technology, I can write things down. I don't have to remember things. And I mean, let's face it, we have calendars, we have alarms, we have lists, and, and, and that's important. But what Paul is telling us right here is how powerful the memory is. It's a powerful force in our lives. And so it is with the things of God. Paul said, I want, you to, I want to remind you, I want you to remember because your memory is essential for maintaining your salvation. 
<coughs> excuse me. What he's saying here is your memory of the gospel is essential to your salvation. Okay, just dwell on that. In what way does our memory help us maintain our salvation? Let's put this in practical terms. How does your memory help you maintain your salvation when it comes to the gospel? Yes, sir. Okay, so it's one way is by repeating the scriptures, whether by him or by reading the word. But it's bringing back to the memory of the scriptures. Brother Ed? As you read and study and you you remember, it gets deeper into your heart. Okay, I hide thy word in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Okay, so there again, Miss Pat? You re- very good. So in your memory of the gospel, you are reminded, you remember. How many of y'all remember how you were, we call it B.C., before Christ, right? Yeah, you, you remember, you see the change in your, in your life after receiving Christ. You remember the Word. You remember, like I said, the Word of God is what I put down here. You remember what has been taught, what has been preached, what has been sung. You remember these things. You remember what you have seen. Sunday morning, we witnessed the Holy Spirit moving in our midst with all kinds of gifts and operation. We saw someone give their heart to Jesus Sunday morning. We saw people baptized in the Holy Spirit Sunday morning. We've seen the the gift of tongues and interpretations. We saw the gift of of prophecy. We saw the gift of the word of knowledge. We saw the gift of the the, uh, word of wisdom. That reminds you of what? That the gospel is... True and alive. alive. I like that. Carl. I think a lot of people learn a lot about the Bible by just reading it, soaking it in, learning the stories that the Bible tells, and putting that to practical use. Sure, absolutely. That way it sticks with it. Sure. So we can say that remembering it builds our faith. When you have been sick, When you are sick, you remember a time when you were sick and God healed you. And it reminds you that God heals you. And it reminds you of what the preacher, your teacher has taught you about healing. And it reminds you of what the Word of God says about healing. And and that's what Paul's saying. They didn't have the New Testament. They're living out the New Testament. They had the Old Testament. It was a little bit organized differently than what we have today in, in our Bibles. They did. Not everybody had access. They didn't necessarily have their own copy of the Old Testament. So what they had to do, just like they had to remember the prophets and the Psalms, right, and the books of Moses, the law, they had to remember what Paul had taught to them and taught them. And so he said, remember this, remember this, okay? All right, all these things and others help us maintain our salvation, whether it's salvation from sin, sickness, depression, the enemy, etc. If you don't remember the gospel and hold firm, do you have believed in vain, he says. If you don't hold firm to the gospel, and he's about to tell us the three primary parts of the gospel in just a moment, then you have believed in vain. Without the, within the context of what Paul is telling us here, okay? When he says that you're believing in vain, within that context, what Paul is speaking about is the resurrection of the dead. The part of the gospel they're dealing with, the part of the good news that they're having a hard time believing that they've drifted away from is the resurrection of the dead. That's what he's dealing with here. 
And so he says, you have to remember, if you believe in Jesus, and yet you don't believe in the resurrection for the dead, then you believe in vain, because what value does salvation have if there's no life after death? See, I kind of read between lines, but basically he's going, he's going to hit that here in a moment. All right? All right, so now he's going to remind them. Now he says, remember, now I'm going to remind you. I'm going to help you remember what, what uh, I have already taught you, he says. So verse 3, for what I received... That's key. I pass on to you as if as of, of first importance. Okay? What for what I receive, I pass on to you as first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. I want you to key on that. He died for our sins, not necessarily according to what I've said. I've said that, but according to the scriptures. Hear what he said. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. That doesn't mean there's thirteen. He said he's first, he appeared to Peter. And then the twelve just means he appeared to all of them. And even though there was only eleven, they still called him the twelve. And eventually they took a twelfth one. We know that, okay? So I just don't want to split hairs, but I, you know, I don't want divisiveness there. It's just, he's just talking about, hey, he showed himself there. And after that, he appeared to more than five hundred of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. That's not soul sleep. We know that he's talking about they have died. In other words, they, their, their, their bodies have, are died. They're dead. They're in the grave. Then he appeared to James and to all the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. I like this because it ties into what I preached this past Sunday about how Jesus showed himself. He revealed himself. He didn't just come back to life. He was a resurrected body. He had a glorified body. Okay? That's important. We're going to get, we probably won't get to that this week, but next week we probably will. Okay. So Paul makes it clear that the gospel is not something he made up. This isn't something he made up, but something that he received. And what he received also lines up with, with what the Word of God said. This was not his opinion. It is not your opinion. The gospel is about events that really happened. We have to be convinced of that. You know the challenge we have, and I'm just going to kind of get off task a little bit, if you don't mind, and just speak to the... And I'm not against everything, but the problem we have today with, with such a... a, a a entertained, drained, or so saturated culture today is we, we live in such a fantasy life that sometimes the lines are blurred with what we believe about the Bible. And I just want you guys to know that this is, this is not Tolkien's writings about Lord of the Rings. It's not Lucas's writings about Star Wars or whatever other fantasy, sci-fi. I'm a sci-fi guy. You guys know that. All right. But this is real. You have to be able to understand. And he, Paul makes it very clear. Your salvation rests on what you believe about the gospel. And in particular, the gospel meaning the good news that Jesus died, rose again. That is the gospel and what he did in those three days while he was in the grave. Okay, It's very important. He makes that clear. Paul was not just speaking of first things he told them when he talks about, about in that scripture. He's he talking about what's the most important things that he shared with them and the most important thing that, he, that had happened. And what was that? The gospel of Jesus Christ. He said this is the most important thing you need to understand more than anything else is about the gospel of Jesus Christ. The good news of Christ. Remember that. So these three things, okay, let's take some time here and talk about the death, the burial, and the resurrection because they are the core beliefs of our Christian faith. We could disagree on some, some things, 
But what we can ill afford to disagree on is the gospel. That is, the three core beliefs. His death, he was buried in a grave, and he rose again after three days. Yes, sir. Absolutely. That is the blessed hope, right? That's what we call the blessed hope. Absolutely. But they were having a problem believing that. See, yeah, you're right. That, that's the core. So he talks about the death of Jesus, okay? So the death of Jesus. What does the death of Jesus, the Son of God, what does that do? It's a central, it's the center part of the gospel. What does that mean to us as Christians today that he died on the cross for us? Okay, he gave it all. Come on. You're talking to somebody. I'm a Hindu. I'm a, I'm a Muslim. He gave it all for our sins. Ga- gave us all for what? For our sins. He gave it life. What do you mean he did what I couldn't do? Why couldn't he? What, can, what can't I do? So it comes down his death. The purpose of his death is to abolish the sin in our lives. He did do what I couldn't do for myself. But the basic elementary means that I was born a sinner. I live in sin. There's nothing I can do to eradicate my sin. My sin keeps me from God. My sin has created a gap or a chasm between me and the Lord. And so therefore, there had to be a way that I could get to God. And so since I couldn't get to God, God came to me and he died so that my sins would be forgiven. Not covered. The Old Testament, it was covered, but they had to go back and the blood of animals. No, no, no. I am white as snow. Okay, very good. I'm just trying to get you to talk, all right? This is class. This is class, all right? This is an oral, oral test. That's why I'm asking you, okay? The, the second part of the gospel is he was buried. Why is the burial of Jesus important? Talk to me. Why, why is it important that he was buried? Because he had to overcome death so that we would have eternal life. Okay. Well, he actually did that in the resurrection, but you're getting ahead of it. No, you're not, I'm, you're not wrong. I'm just talking about you. He, he overcame death through the resurrection. Why was it important that he died? And I'm not looking for anything special. I'm just thinking about it. One th- and let me help you out. One thing is because it fulfilled Scripture. It had to fulfill Scripture. Okay. Thank you. It proved you don't bury a live person. Not too often. Not intentionally. Huh? <laughs> the burial is important because it lines up with Scripture. And not only that, but it proved that he was dead. He, he wasn't in a coma. I mean, when, when they went to break his legs, they stuck a spear in his side. Blood and water flowed because it was about to be the high holy day. It was the Passover. They had to get him off the cross. They had to put him in the tomb. They were about to break the legs. They broke the legs of the other two guys, the two criminals. They didn't his because he was already dead. He was lifeless. So therefore, you take a, they wrap him in his, in, his, in his burial clothing and they put him in a borrowed tomb of a rich man, which is prophetic. That was even prophesied. To fulfill the prophecy. But he was dead. That's important that he died. He didn't die. 
And everything talking about, it just it, it eradicates the gospel because it's, it didn't happen the way it was supposed to happen. Okay? That's correct. And now Jay comes and confirms what uh, Brenda just said about his, his resurrection. Talk, say what you just said again. If he didn't die, he didn't resurrect. He brought others back to life. He did. And he's going to bring more back to life. <laughs> he was the first fruits of the resurrected. See? So that's important. This is critical to the gospel message, not only because it fulfilled what Jesus said would happen, but what good is it to have your sins forgiven if there's no resurrection? The fact that there is a resurrection is the reason we needed Jesus to die for us. Right? We need Him to die for our sins. There is eternity. There is life after death. There is heaven to gain and hell to shun. You know I say that all the time because He rose from the dead. Now we will experience the same thing one day. That's great news. That, that is awesome, awesome news for us. Brother David? While he was, his body was dead in the tomb, his spirit was on his way to Hades or hell. Yeah, we didn't uncover what he did while his body was in the grave. He went and he defeated death. He defeat, I mean, that's where death was. The, well, he hasn't, death hasn't fully been conquered yet. We know we're going to get to that here in a minute, but he did. It no longer has a power on those who call him Lord. He took the keys or the authority of Hades away. And, and, and that's very important that, that he preached while he was there. Why, remember, you guys should know this. You're in my studies every Wednesday night. Why, why did he have to preach when he went to Hades? Why did he have to preach in Shul? Why did he have to preach in, in Abraham's bosom? Why did he have to preach there in paradise? Why? The, the, the saints that died prior to Christ's death. They didn't go to be with God. They couldn't. Jesus had died. Their, their righteousness was covered by the blood of bulls and lambs. So they went to what they called, the Jewish people called, Eshul or Abraham's bosom. Jesus said today to the thief on the cross, today you will be with me, not in heaven. You'll be with me in paradise. Then when Jesus died, he went down there. He had to preach. He had to preach so those that were in Abraham's bosom could see him as the Messiah, accept his blood over their sin. Now God says, oh, you don't have any sin because you're covered in the blood of the Lamb, my Lamb. Come on up here now to be absent of bodies, be present with the Lord. That's some good theology right there. That's some good theology right there. You need to hang on to that right there. That's what the blood of Jesus does for you and I. It gives us access to the throne room of God, to the presence of God. Okay. Are we good? Is this good? Are we okay? So we all are quiet. All right. All right. <laughs> you know, Brother Joel, can I, can I be very honest? I have missed you. I have missed you. I have missed you. I mean that sincerely. I, I miss you when you're not here. <laughs> Is it poisoned? <laughs> oh. He mentioned... Paul, Paul mentions, and this is part of my message on Sunday, this past Sunday. Paul mentioned all the people that Jesus revealed himself to after, the, after his resurrection. 
And the reason he mentions that is that's evidence. It's not just Paul's word. It's not just the words of the 12. It's there were hundreds of people who witnessed. That's important to build their faith. And that should be important to build your faith. Even though we don't know those people. The, the fact that there was people willing to lose their lives for, to preach the gospel is evidence to me that Jesus really did live, die, and was resurrected. They were willing to lay their lives on line for this, this gospel, this message of freedom in Christ. Okay. Paul said that Jesus even appeared to him. This took place on the road to Damascus, if you remember right. What was he on his way to Damascus to do? persecute Christians, and this is one of the ways Paul claims his apostleship status. To be an apostle in the days of Christ is you had to be one of his disciples, seen him, physically have seen him, and they'd be sent by him. That was an apostle just means sent one, and Jesus sent them. There was more than the 12 apostles. You know, they, they picked the 12th one after Judas Iscariot. We, you see that at the end of chapter 1 of the book of Acts. Uh, but they're not the only ones that were sent. There, were, there was 120 on the day of Pentecost that were sent. Okay? So, so they're, they're, they're obviously, most of the time we think about apostles, we think about the twelve. And, and, and I get it. And then here's the thirteenth one. And Paul says, based on this, I too, he's making a status as an apostle. He uses an unusual term here as to one abnormally born. Anybody got any ideas what that means? I know you're probably saying, well, I was waiting for you to tell me. This, this simply... this. Do I? Because he was a persecutor of the church. Well, it really, being abnormally born, that, they're kind of mixed feelings for what this meant. Basically, most believe, I'm not saying you're wrong, Terry, because that could be, I don't think it really, it matters, but it doesn't matter, because Paul's just, he's about to make a statement, he's about to make a claim based on this statement, okay? But basically, it simply means as one born at the wrong time or the wrong place. See, he was just, he was born, yeah. Paul didn't have the three-year experience the other disciples slash apostles had, right? And because of that, he was abnormally, it, it was abnormal for him to be an apostle. It's just, it was just a way of saying, look, I didn't, I didn't come to the state, this position of apostle like they did. It's an abnormal way of coming. I came, Jesus personally came to me. Yeah. And so he, he, cho- donkey horse. he, got, he chose donkey. <laughs> he chose only because he really didn't have any choice. Yeah, but I think what Paul, because where Paul's going in verse 9, Paul's just saying, it didn't, I, I didn't come about in this position like they did. This is a normal day because I wasn't born where they were born. Actually, Paul was very affluent. I mean, he was born into a very wealthy family, very well educated, right? He could, he could speak to the Greeks. He could speak to the... He, he, was a, he was Hebrews of Hebrews, right? Jews of Jews. I mean, he knew the law. He, he was on his way to being part of the Sanhedrin. He was there. He was that underling. But yet, on Mars Hill, he could talk with all these philosophies, Greek philosophers. See, he had that, he had that double education there. And all he, I think, really based on what he's about to say, he said, the way I became an apostle is abnormal. It wasn't like these guys, because listen to what he says in verse 9. Based on that, listen to what he says. For I am the least of the apostles. See, based on what he said, he said, I'm the least apostle and do not even deserve to be called an apostle. Because I persecuted the church. See? 
So he says, I came about this abnormally. I, really, this shouldn't have happened, but yet God, Jesus himself, he personally called me. He sent me. He, he's the one who knocked me off my donkey, my horse. Uh, he's the one who blinded me. He's the one who said, told me where to go. And, and I had to wait, and I was blind for a few days and, until this, this, this guy came and, and, and spoke to me, Ananias, and he prayed for me, and, and, and I received Christ, and my, my blindness went away. And eventually we know he was baptized not only in water, but baptized in the Holy Spirit, see. Yeah. Yes, sir. The question is, was Paul taken up to heaven in that instant when he saw the fire, the light, in order to meet Christ personally? How did he meet him personally if he wasn't taken to work? Welcome. Well, you talking about on the road to Damascus? Said that it says that Jesus came to him. It said that he's no. Well, no. He saw the light. The light blinded. The light knocked him off his horse. That so whether that was. Well, he definitely, listen, okay, sake of argument, Christ wasn't there, but he heard his voice. So maybe, maybe Christ said a lightning bolt, blinded everybody, okay, okay. But yet he spoke. Paul, Paul, why do you persecute me? But he heard his voice. Well, do we need to turn to the scripture and read it? I mean, he was actually, uh, according to what I remember, uh, when the light came down, he heard the voice, but the other soldiers that were with him did right. not. Nobody else heard or saw a thing except for him. But if he heard a voice, what the cross meant that Christ would have had to have been close enough for him to hear it. Although Christ can speak, probably come down in the river. By the way, welcome, folks. I don't know if you lost your way on 231, the weather brought you in, you're out of gas, or you're just looking for a church, but we're glad that you came in here tonight. We're in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 uh, tonight in our Bible study, so if that helps you in any, any way. so. And my name is Tony. We're glad you're here. Well, here we are in, 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 in Acts chapter 9. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked for his letter to the synagogue in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, speaking of Jesus, whether men or women, he might, or should I say the way Christ, obviously, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed okay, around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up. Sounds like he's on the ground. 
No, I mean, I'm, I'm just, I'm, listen, we're dissecting it here. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, a, I don't think, I don't think Brother Gerald's arguing. I mean, we're not arguing, it's just, we're dissecting it here. So, yeah. Right. Well, yeah, we don't know how long he, yeah. I mean, who knows it? Right, I understand what you're saying. Whether it was a five-minute sermon, here I am, or it was a 48-hour sermon, we don't know, because obviously time was not an issue there. But it sounds like to me that it, it just saying from reading it verbatim here, that it, it wasn't Saul at that moment going, at least not physically. He was physically on the earth, the light shone around him. Uh, he, had a, he had a conversation, I'm Jesus whom you persecuted, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what to, you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. Okay? So maybe Jesus wasn't in the physical form there, but he obviously spoke. He got his attention. All right? It's kind of like my wife hit me with a pan, right? Gets my attention. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could not see. He could see nothing. So he led him by the hand into Damascus for three days. Interesting. Three days. He was blind and did not eat or drink anything. And then, of course, it talks about the Lord sending Ananias to him. Okay? Yes. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. That's okay. You're in a safe place most of the time. Coats. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I would imagine, obviously, I, I don't want to read into it too much, but I imagine it had to have because, especially hindsight. What do you think, Saul? I mean, there again, we're speculating. I don't want to add to it, take away from the Word of God. But what do you think Saul did for three days? He didn't eat or drink when he was blind and he sat in Damascus waiting on Ananias. Ah, he's praying there, yeah. So he was praying, he was seeking the Lord. And I imagine some of what was going through his mind was, oh, goodness, what? I'm, I'm, let, me, let me put it this way. If it was me, the first thing I'd be thinking is, bang, have I been wrong? But you've got to realize he was a praying man anyhow. He was a praying man. He was a very devout Jewish man. Absolute Jew among Jews. Absolute Hebrew among Hebrews. And I would imagine at that point, first his world was totally turned upside down. For a good thing, though. But can you imagine what he felt? Wait a minute. Because Stephen obviously wasn't the only one he persecuted. He was part of that. I mean, he's going to Damascus with a letter writ saying, 
I can drag these people back. If I find them believing in this name, this man named Jesus, I'm going to drag them back to Jerusalem. They're going to stay in trial. So I believe, I think that, it, and hindsight looking back and saying, oh, yeah, I was a part of that. And Stephen was a leader in the church there in Jerusalem. I keep wondering why he didn't recall the parts of the, of the scriptures that would actually have told of the coming of the Messiah to the point where he would recognize well, well, what did the Jewish, what did the Orthodox, what, who were they, those in Judah, what were they looking for? They looked for the Messiah, but... They were looking for a liberator. A liberator. Political king to liberate them from the bondage, just like Moses did from, from uh, the Israelites, from uh, the bondage of Egypt and the rule of Egypt. They were looking for, and guess what? They missed it. Because there, 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 is, there is prophecy in the Old Testament that says that he will do that. But he first came as the servant king before he comes as the conquering king. He first came as the Lamb of God before he comes as the one who, who brings and defeats the enemies of God. See? So they missed that. Paul, they, and they're still missing it today. Where in scriptures of the Old, Old Testament, of course, where does it show the, the, the difference between the two? Well, I, I'd, have to, I'd have to go and study that and pull those up. Okay, I can't quote all those, all right? But, but I know they're there because I have studied them. So absolutely. So they're looking for a conquering king. They thought their greatest need was to get out of the bondage of Rome. And in reality, their greatest need was to get out of the bondage of sin. Well, that's what the problem with Judas was. He was expecting him to be the conquering. And that's why he felt that he was... Either that or Judas believed that Jesus would get himself off the cross or not go through it. Whatever. Yeah. I mean, yeah, we don't really know what was going on there. Alex? Yeah. Et cetera, et cetera. If you look at the Old Testament, um, at the times when the Messianic prophecies were being written, they were written during a time of occupation. So written in occupation and then understood under that condition. And then in the New Testament, Christ is there. Again, the people of God are under occupation. So I think that probably had a whole lot to do with how they didn't believe Christ was the Messiah in part because them, in their mind, they were looking for this warrior king that would liberate them from the people who had been destroying them entirely. Yeah. Right? Or oppressing them. Oppressing them, enslaving them. Yeah, so. Whereas Christ came as to his, his, his spiritual liberation. Kingdom minded. That's right. It was more about, it was kingdom, but it was not kingdom here on earth. It was the kingdom of God. Absolutely. This is, yeah, yeah. This is good. This is good. All right. So. It was just thought provoking. Sure. Mm-hmm. What did he say before forgive them? He said, I see heaven. He said, I'm glad you brought that because I meant to bring that up for a minute. He's one of the few people where God pulled back heaven and let him see. And what did he see? Y'all know your scripture? Son, that's right, at the right hand. Yeah. I just wonder if basically the same thing happened to Possibly. Possibly. I can't say yes. I can't say, I can't say yes. I can't say no. I'm just, like I said, I went back to the scripture. Like I said, it wasn't a point of argument with you. You know that. It's just a point of discussion. I, can't, I don't want to sit up here. Yes, because there's not, I can't. We do know that Stephen did. He definitely saw, and it wasn't a vision. I believe he actually saw. I think 
God pulled back that second heaven and let him see the third heaven. His kingdom, his, his throne room. Right? He saw, he saw Revelation chapter 4. If you want to know what he saw, just go there. All right. All right. This is good. So, so in verse 9, his statement, I believe, must be interpreted as being a reference to him being the least deserving of all the apostles because of his persecution of the church. Okay? He certainly was not least of the apostles as far as his accomplishments went. He planted more churches than any of the other apostles. From record stance, I'm talking about from record, there was more people saved under his ministry, recorded, I don't mean that necessarily that's true, but at least recorded, than anyone else because of the churches he planted. Well, he planted non-Jewish churches. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. He went into the pagan. He went into the Gentiles. He went to the Gentiles. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The heathen. That's who I is. You may be Jewish, brother, but I'm a Gentile. All right? <laughs> Y'all don't know, Brother David here is, he has Jewish ancestry for sure. Yeah, yeah. He, he says, I don't ride donkeys, I ride horses. <laughs> Are we good? Are we good? Are we having fun? Are we learning? Are we reinforcing maybe what we already know? This is important, okay? Verse 10. But by grace, Paul says, by the grace of God, I am what I am. Good, bad, or indifferent. And his grace to me was not without effect. That's a, I could sit right there and preach for a while. I won't. We'll, we'll, we'll touch on it here in a minute. No, I worked harder than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it is I or they, this is what we preached, and this is what you believed. So he could not change what he had done. You need to know something here tonight. You cannot change what you have done. We need to know that. You cannot change. I am a sinner saved by grace. Paul is a sinner saved by grace. He said, I am who I am. I cannot change what I've done. He who was, uh, he, he was saved by God for a purpose, just like we're all saved by God for a purpose. He could not change who he was except. He could not change who he was. He couldn't change his past. And he couldn't change who he was except by the grace of God. This is not false humility here. I mean, sometimes Paul comes across a little arrogant. I, you know, I think it's because he's dealing with knuckleheads like us. Right? Come on. Do I not come across sometimes sarcastic? Maybe you might say, well, you come across a little strong there. Yeah, I'm dealing with knuckleheads like me here, okay? Paul's a knucklehead too, he's saying. So I don't think it's false humility here. He was a changed man. He was a forgiven man. He was cleansed and he was full of love when at one point he was full of hate. He hated these Christians. Out of zeal for God, he hated Christians. He was a zealot. He, was a, he just wanted to burn everybody up, throw them to the line, whatever. They want to whip them. I guess they didn't throw them to the lines. That's what the Romans did. But he definitely wanted to throw He wanted them to, to suffer and be in prison. But he was a changed man. 
He knew this was not his own accomplishment, but it was the work of the grace of God in him. He had to change. That, that, well, let me ask you something. All right, let me, let me just get away from my notes for a minute. What was, what did Jesus, what, well, Jesus didn't say, when Jesus met Zacchaeus, the little guy up in the tree, y'all know the song we sang. We don't know if it was a sycamore, he was up in the tree. He wanted to see Jesus. He said, come here, Zacchaeus, you thief, you tax collector. I mean, he didn't call him that, he didn't, but he says, come down here. I want to go spend some time with you. We do not know what Jesus said to Zacchaeus when he went and ate with him at his house. We, but what we do know is Jesus said, or we do know what Zacchaeus said, and based on what Zacchaeus said, Jesus said, salvation has come to this house today. What did Zacchaeus say? Do you remember the story? What did he say? He's going to give everything he stole back and plus more. Plus more. I'm going to pay penance. I'm going to, and I'm not going to do this anymore. Based on what he said from the heart, in the heart, speak with your mouth. Based on what he said and based on what he did, we knew Jesus said salvation has come to your house today. Now, I don't want to split hairs. We know this is prior to Christ's death. But he did receive Jesus as Messiah. Jesus' Jesus's blood just hadn't covered his sin yet, okay? So I'm, I know we could say, well, this is prior, that demarcation of death. I get it. But Jesus said salvation has come to your house based on what? Based on your faith of what I've told you and the fact that you are giving everything you stole back and then some. His actions. How do we know Paul was saved? Based on his actions. He turned around. He changed what, he changed what was sinful even though he thought he was doing what God wanted him to do. He didn't think he was being sinful. Paul didn't think he was being sinful. Now, he may have been a little zealous about, hey, let me get as many and see if I can't treat them like dogs. But he was doing it all in the name of God, right? Kind of like the Crusades. We won't go there, but kind of like the Crusades, right? <laughs> Everything in the name of God, we're going to go kill all these people, right? But we won't go there tonight. Yeah. So we see this. We see this. So talk to me for a minute. We've got a few minutes left here. Talk to me. I thought we'd get a lot farther. This was good. How did Paul... He said, I had to work harder than the rest of these. How did Paul work harder than the rest of the apostles? Brother Ed? <laughs> Excuse me. Yep. But yet everyone knew him from before as what he was. So he had to work hard to convince. Yes. So one thing he had to work harder at is to convince the Christians. I mean, did Ananias want to go to him? What did Ananias say? Uh, Lord, I mean, have you ever had this discussion with God? I mean, I'm thinking this guy is very brave. Lord, isn't that Saul of Tar... Isn't that the guy who's like persecuting us Christians? You want me to do what, Lord? I'm probably paraphrasing there, right? Right, yeah. So he had, he had to do more to earn the trust of the Christians as well as the other apostles. Matter of fact, why did Paul have to go away for several years? Paul tried. He wanted to preach. He went and met with the Jerusalem council. But he had to go, he had to go away. Why? Because he wasn't received. He wasn't received. So he went away until his time, and that's when Barnabas, when Antioch said, we need, we need to send some men to start evangelizing and plant some churches. And Barnabas said, hey, there's this guy over here. His name is Paul. We're going to call him by his, by his Roman name, not his Hebrew name. 
Changed his name to Paul, but he didn't do that for the sake of the Jews. He did that because he was walking, he was traveling in Roman providences. So that gave him, that let him know he was a Roman citizen, okay? But let's go get him. But he had to go away. He, so he had to, my point is, he had, to, he had to work harder earning the people's trust. Brother Ed? He, he also, when he went away, he probably had to do a lot of I think he had to, that's what he went away and did. He went away and he studied, and what he studied was, what he already knew, but now he's looking at it through a different lens. He did do a lot of praying. Absolutely. Absolutely. But he had to look at it. He had to change the lens from which he looked at the Old Testament now. Was you raised in Judaism? Okay, so talk to me a little bit about the way the Old Testament is viewed from your, your old way of thinking, and it may be a hard question to answer, in the way you look at it today, being a, being a follower of Christ. Well, it's still the same God. Yep. That, He's right. It is still the same God. It's, yeah, it's the same God. It's just that uh, salvation, nobody ever talked about it. Hmm. At what age did you? What age did you receive Christ? When did I meet Christ? Or when you? Yeah, when you got saved. Forty something. Forty something. So later in life, that's not old, but later in your life, it wasn't like a young person. Okay. So did it change in any way your perspective as you looked at prophecy? Because it does change prophecy when you start looking at it, at least from the standpoint that how you view. Because you know, you guys do understand that the Jews today. Orthodox, I call them Orthodox, but those who still follow Judaism and different reforms of Judaism, because there's other forms, reformed versions of Judaism, they still don't see Jesus as Messiah. I mean, that's, that's so, anyways, that's okay. Maybe, maybe it's a discussion you and I can have another time, because I'm curious about that, how, how that kind of, how you, you can see things differently. So. Well, it took a long time, and I spent a lot of time studying after that. Good. Yeah. You, still have, you still have your Jewish... You Torah, don't you? Your Jewish Bible? Yeah. Cool. Scriptures. Yeah. The scripture, yeah. It's totally, totally reorganized in what, where's our, yeah. 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 Okay. All right. Let's move forward. All right. We got a few moments here. Let's see how far we get. Okay. So he had to earn, um, he had to work harder, not for salvation's sake, but to earn the trust of the other Christians. Uh, he had the persecuted Christians, the apostles, for the same reason. He had to work harder to insist that God called him to plant churches. That was hard work. He gave up his life and he started traveling. And it was hard work. He was persecuted. It was really hard work. Where the, where the apostles in Jerusalem, some of the Christians definitely were persecuted because we see that Saul was part of that. Uh, but the apostles weren't. They didn't touch the apostles until later. And really that was under Rome and not under Judaism. Not under the, not under the council. It came actually under Rome, Nero. He came and persecuted them. So, so we see even from that standpoint, it was, it, he was, it was harder. He had to work harder in the sense that he faced more persecution than the others. Yet the results of his labor were by God's grace. Okay, I, This is what I want to look at because this is powerful here. God's grace in me, he's saying, was not given in vain. Jesus revealed himself to Saul on the road to Damascus. Got his attention, obviously. Called him and he says... 
that the grace that you extended me was not extended in vain. As a matter of fact, Paul worked harder than most to make sure that the grace that he received was not in vain, to make sure that God's grace extended uh, to me paid dividends for the kingdom. Paul did not waste the grace that God extended to him. We need to learn that today as Christians today. We get here, we accept Christ as Lord and Savior, and we, we disgrace, I think I heard a preacher one time in this pulpit say, we disgrace God's grace sometime. Isn't that right, Brother Terry? I think you preached that that one Sunday here many years ago. What does that mean? That means we continue living on the way we want to live on rather than living our lives for God. We don't make the tough decisions that Christ has called us. We don't want to give up the things that He wants us to give up. Paul, Saul gave up everything for the call that Christ. He went away. He walked away from a future job that had benefits beyond measure. But God's grace it saved him. All that would have been in vain if he ended up in hell one day. But Jesus came along and he did it for all of us. He may not come in a bright light. He may not knock you off your donkey or your horse. But he came to everyone that's in here and he shined a light, his light, into our life. Through the Holy Spirit brought conviction in to show us that we are sinful, that we're separated from God because of our sin. So that why? We could work on our lives so we could receive Christ as Savior. And then he put us on a path. He saved us for a purpose. He created us for a purpose. He gave you life for a purpose on purpose. And that's where we have to find what our purpose is and live it for His glory. See, That is good preaching. That's a, that is powerful. He says, well, all that Jesus did for me is not going to be in vain. We've got to quit letting our grace extended to us by God be given in vain. We got yes. We got to do more than just come to church and sit in a chair. You know, come Sunday. You guys know what I've been preaching on. We'll be in week three of the first book of the first chapter of the book of Acts. And it's going to be good. You think last week was good? Yeah. Man, I'm telling you, God. I mean, I'm not done with it, but just what He's already poured is like, woo. All right. I went to preaching instead of teaching there, but I love that statement. It's not going to be, it wasn't given to me in vain. I'm not going to waste this opportunity. That includes that we should be doing stuff. Yes. Not just coming to church. I mean, wherever we are, whether we're at work or whether we're out playing I, I, I agree. It's, it's called disc golf, but that's okay. Yeah, you're right, though. You're right, Brother David. You're right. I'm still an advocate that every one of y'all need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Everyone, you need to be empowered. That's why He gives it to us, so we can be empowered to be witnesses. So that when, if, do you believe that God, Jesus wants to heal people today? You believe God, Jesus wants to deliver people from demonic oppression? Do you believe that, that God wants to put people's lives on the right path? How is He going to do it if He doesn't have you willing to do it? And He needs you to have His power to do it, because what you can do in your own power isn't good enough. I'm not talking about salvation, I'm talking about fulfilling your purpose. He didn't save me to be safe. He didn't save me just to hang on until He calls me home, whether through the grave or through the rapture. He saved me to be dangerous, and He says, I, I must go away so that I can send you what, the God, what my Father has promised you. It's a promise to you, and with that promise, you know what? You're going to pray for the sick, and they're going to be healed. Let me ask you, when was the last time you prayed for someone they was healed?
See? That's a, when's the last time you faced someone who was demon-possessed and you prayed over him and the demon ran? Been a while. Listen, I, hey, I've got to look myself in the mirror. Yeah? Well, let me ask you this. Let's, let's, okay, let's, t- let's take that miraculous and set it over here on the shelf. If it's in the Word, it's in the Word. It's, if we're supposed to do it, we're supposed to do it. When is the last time you led someone to Christ? And then why not? Yeah. It's been too long ago for me. And that was just Sunday. I was so excited about that. It was good. It was good. See? All right. I'm not saying this to beat you up, but you're right. God extended His grace. He's extended salvation, forgiveness to us. And then Paul is teaching and preaching to the Corinthian church here. He's already talked about spiritual gifts. We've done covered all the spiritual gifts. Chapter 12, 13, and 14. So within, within, that, within that understanding, we're supposed to be operating in these things. Okay, what time is it? I've got four minutes. Do I dare go any farther? <laughs> Whether I'm stepping on toes, I'm sorry. No, I'm not sorry. All right. Let's see if we can get through 12 and 14. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? So he just said, whether I've preached it or the other apostles preached it, it's the same gospel and you've believed. Understand, that's where he's going here, okay? And so it continues, but if it's preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? Okay? If there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. That's powerful, guys. All right? So the Corinthians did not have a problem believing that Jesus resurrected from the dead. They didn't. These folks did not. He just said in verse 11, you believe the gospel. You believe that Jesus died. He, he, he died on the cross. He was in the grave. He resurrected. He just said that in verse 11. He just explained that. What they had a problem believing is that they were going to be resurrected. And you think about that. I have no problem believing Jesus was resurrected. Why? Well, I've got the evidence. I've got the bearing of the witness of my spirit with his spirit, the Holy Spirit. I've got, it, I've got it in writing. I believe this book. But do you believe you're going to be resurrected one day, see? And that's what they're dealing with here. They had wavered. Now, there were some, there were some things we may not get to tonight, but there's some things that were weighing on them that, that persuaded them not to believe, okay, culturally. But the bottom line is, well, let's just talk about it. They lived in a Greek culture. It's a Roman Greek culture. In the Greek culture uh, that these, uh, these um, Gentiles were coming out of, uh, from, the, from many of the philosophies, it was better to live in a pure spiritual state than in a, in, in a resurrected. They, many of the, 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 the uh, uh, Greek uh, philosophers believed in resurrection, but they believed that existing in pure spirit form was far superior than having another body whether that's reincarnation or resurrected body as we believe. They, that was part of it that was bleeding into their belief system. But there's also the Sadducees. What did the Sadducees believe? Which was another sect of Judaism, S-E-C-T. They did not believe in the resurrection. They said, this is it, buddy. There is no glorified body. You don't get a glorified body. All right. And so with that, they're being influenced in, in, in their belief. Okay. We have to remember that the resurrection is not merely life after death. It is the continuation 
of life after death in a glorified body. You're going to be known. I preached that again. If you were here, Sunday, go back. You will be known as you're known. You will be different, but you will be known. Your body won't look exactly like it does right now, but you will be recognized as you will recognize others. I firmly believe my personal theology, by based on the Word of God, I'm going to know Noah when I get to heaven, and Noah's going to know me, even though I've never met the man. Name tags. Name tags. There you go. <laughs> King David, right? Right? So I, I, I believe that, but it's the resurrection, brother. That thank you, thank you, brother Gerald. I didn't even bring that up Sunday, but you're absolutely right. Because Peter wanted to build tabernacles, tents for them, dwelling places for them. They knew them. Okay. So we we see this. Okay, we we're going to have glorified bodies. The present body, but in a glorified state, just like Jesus. Okay. In these verses, along with verse 16, we're not going to get 16, Paul ties our future resurrection to Christ's resurrection in inseparable way. This is an inseparable way, okay? He was saying that anyone who does not believe in the bodily resurrection of all mankind does not believe that Jesus resurrected. If you can't believe Jesus resurrected, you're not going to believe you can. But if you can't believe you are going to be resurrected, then how do you believe Jesus is resurrected? Amen. Yes, it makes sense is what he's saying. Okay, There can be no salvation without believing in the resurrection of Jesus. You can look that up in Romans if you want to, chapter 10. Not all the prophets, but several of the prophets did. Yes, sir. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Absolutely they did. Yeah. Kayla? Yeah. We, well, honestly, this is a Gentile area, although there were Jewish believers there. I believe that. I mean... Um, we see that in several of the cities that, that Paul went to. We don't know, probably not. Like I said, they didn't have the Bible. First of all, not every uh, Jew had the Torah. They only had portions. They only had por- if that, if that, the commoner didn't. No. All right. So probably not. Okay. But let me, let me caution you for just a moment. Okay. You brought up a very good point. All right. The Old Testament points to Christ. And does give us a foreshadowing of Christ. But if I didn't have the Old Testament, all I had was the New Testament, I still could believe in a resurrected Jesus. See my point? There is enough. So I don't think, I, I hear what you're saying. They probably did not. They were not Jews. Most of them were not Jews. Absolutely. So they were relying on eyewitnesses. Paul said several of these people are still around. Some have died, but many of them are still around that have seen him. You're hearing our testimony. Here's my testimony. 
Although I'm not like the other apostles that walked daily for three and a half years with Christ and saw all these miracles, he did come to me on the road to Damascus. I had an encounter with him. But we are all preaching the same gospel. I'm paraphrasing what Paul has said. And you believed it. So why now have you stopped believing that you're going to be resurrected? If, and he, we won't have time to get to it tonight, but he's going to give us our theology on resurrected. If Jesus, res, if Jesus being fully man, resurrected, and, he, and he's going to call him the first fruit. What does first fruit mean? Give me a basic definition. Not definition of first fruit. What does first fruit imply? That there will be more to come. He's the first. He is the prototype. Oh, I'm getting goosebumps just thinking about it. He's the prototype. Of what we're going to be like. See? We're going to have a glorified... Jesus walked... I mean, Jesus went from one place to another. He just appeared. And then there's times He walked through doors and walls. Thank you for tuning in to our Bear Creek AG podcast. You are about to listen to our weekly Bible study with Pastor Tony. Thanks for joining in.